You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, my goodness. Off and running on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday, May 2nd. Hey, you, how's everybody feeling this weekend? Well, look, I already know the answer. I I usually open the show by asking how you're doing. And some weekends, you know, maybe a little up for grabs, right? Maybe good, maybe not. Today, for a fact, I know that everyone, everywhere is loving life. Everyone's living the dream. How could I know such things? Well, I know such things because the NFL draft is in the books. The 2021 NFL draft is history. All the lead up, all the countdown. So if you are one of the people who, you know, had had enough of mock drafts and scouting reports, you're good, right? Until the uh, 2022 mock drafts. They come out Monday. So be on the alert for those. But the draft is in the the books. And I don't know if you've seen it because, you know, look, it's the weekend. Maybe you're... You're focused on other things. The Yankees uh, are getting underway later this afternoon. The Knicks finally play again. But the draft grades are out, people. And good news. Everybody passed. Everybody did great. Oh, my God. This is amazing. This is the first time in human history. It happened. I feel like Jim Lampley. It happened. It happened. Everybody passed. Everybody Every single team not only passed, did brilliantly. Chances are your team, I don't even know what your team is, but chances are if you're reading any article about draft grades, there's a very good chance that your team either has an A or a B. Now, I know a lot of things have changed since I've been in school, but I think still A's and B's are still considered really good. Everyone needs talent, everybody filled needs. Everybody found talent. Every pick, every pick, the team couldn't believe this guy was still available. Every guy, every pick, the team took the guy that was highest on their draft board. Isn't that amazing? What a, I mean, how many picks were there? 250 something picks. That's amazing that that happened. Looking through the draft grades. Oh my, it's unbelievable. Every team did a, They're not only adding an extra game next year. Everybody's going to be great. Everybody's going to be amazing. NFL.com, Chad Reuter, he graded all 32 teams. All 32. 31 of them got an A or a B. Look at that. Wow. That's incredible. Everybody did well. The Texans got a D. But I know from my time in school, Ds are still passing. Barely passing, but they're still passing. Wow, 31 teams either just hit it out of the park or did really, really well. A or a B, 31 out of 32. Wow, that's incredible. The New York Post, they had, got, uh, they had 10 teams with A's, 10 teams with B's, 10 teams with C's. Fantastic. A, B, or C, you can't lose. Two teams got D's there. All right, but again, D, as I know, still passing. Wow, that is inc- isn't that incredible? Everyone passes. I would just like to say, all the people writing columns about draft grades, where were you when I was in college? I could have really used you. So I was looking at all these different columns, looking for some actual analysis from somebody to show, right? Everybody can't be great. So I went to the analytic crowd. They'll give it to you straight, right? Pro football focus, they'll take a, a look at the draft. The numbers don't lie. And they, not a scout's take, right? Because that's sometimes open to interpretation. I want it to be properly about a scientific evaluation of the influx of college talent into the NFL. What would they have to say? Clearly, it would be different, right? Well, 10 teams did get A's. 15 teams got B's. The rest got C's. No D's, no F's. Nobody failed. Everybody. Oh, wow. This, this, I, look, this has to be the story of the year, right? I mean, the fact that the NFL conducted a draft and every single pick, every single team, they just did amazing. Wow. Now, of course, I'm joking. Obviously, every single team didn't do amazing. Do I know the teams that didn't do amazing? No, I don't. And you know who else doesn't know? Everybody. 
Everybody has no idea. Here's the key to a good draft grade. You ready? The main thing you need to have. A lot of picks. You need, if you have a lot of picks, you are almost certain to get a good draft grade. And of course, we all know, having, just simply having a lot of picks, that's the key, right? 2014, the Jets had 12 picks in that draft. They must have done amazing, right? Has anybody seen Jason Morrow? The key to a bad draft grade, now look, there's, it, it's almost impossible. I just laid out, right, all these different sources from, you know, the NFL.com. It's almost impossible to do it. I mean, if you went up on the stage and you, like, just blew a big raspberry as the, the pick was being, maybe then you would get an F. I, I would think that raspberry, that was an amazing, you know, whatever. The key to a bad draft grade, though, don't have a lot of picks. Like, if you don't pick until the third round, chances you're in trouble. Also, for the pro football focus crowd and the, and the analytic crowd, if you want a good trade, a grade, just get a quarterback. If you take a quarterback in the first room, in the first round, excuse me, it will almost certainly be the right move. Boom. It's always the right call. It's amazing. Passing a quarterback in the first round, it's going to cost you. Now, not enough to get an F, but still. Good chance that it will hurt your draft grade. But again, everybody passes. Everybody did amazing. And could you please uh, save me the uh, team A is thrilled that they drafted this guy or that guy? You'll see a lot of those columns, either the Jets, the Giants. It'll happen with every single team. This team, is they like their picks, but this pick, oh, my God, they love this pick. Well, Adoy, they picked him. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like he was selected and given to them. They did the selection. It's like when you get done with the like a fantasy draft, there's always a guy somewhere in the room will be like, you know, I really like my team this year. Yeah, of course, of course, doofus, you are the guy who picked the team. If you don't like the team, then you you really um, you really have problems. Now I joke, but nothing is more worthless than draft grades, as I said, because nobody knows. There are rules that I would like my team to follow. I like when my team follows a plan, and a plan that makes sense. Now, there's no question that there are teams that just, with the draft that just got done, teams screwed up. There, there will be teams that absolutely made mistakes up and down their draft board, even though they couldn't believe this guy was available when they picked. Yeah, well, maybe that's, because, maybe that's for a reason, right? Now, we don't know who they are, not for sure, but we can have our guesses, so we'll get into it. The number, of course, you know, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. I am on Twitter. Uh, at Gordon Damer. But this year's draft was surprising from one standpoint. And really, this is the most shocking of all, because while the draft grades every single year, they're always, uh, it's amazing. Nobody ever fails. Nobody ever. Um, It is kind of surprising that it seems like the overwhelming majority of Jets and Giants fans are both very happy with the way things went down. There's always going to be, you know, a little criticism here, a little criticism there. Not everybody is going to be 100%, 100% to reach that. It's pretty impossible. But there have been years, I know them, that you could have told a Jets fan, hey, you know what? We're, you, you only have one pick in any given year. But it, this year, we're going to let you take three guys with your one pick, and they still would have complained. I, I'm telling you, this would have happened. But Jet fans are very happy. Giant fans are very happy. And look, history tells us, right, half of the first-round picks will be mistakes. So if, if Jet fans, obviously it's more than the first round, but if Jet fans are happy and Giant fans are happy, history tells us one of them won't be, <laughs> at least one of them. And recent history with the Jets and Giants will tell you they might both have screwed up. But look, they're both very happy. I thought that the Jets draft was clear-cut, right? Like, you know what you need from that draft to be happy. Zach Wilson has to be great. If all the other picks are successful, but Wilson is not, well, then they got a problem. They got a major problem because that's the most important pick that Joe Douglas has made so far and probably will make. And what I like is it's easy to see what Joe Douglas's plan was. And, and again, I don't know if the picks that they made are the right picks, the wrong picks. I, I like the, uh, the way they attacked it. 
But his plan clearly was, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to pick my guy at quarterback. And B, I'm not going to make the same mistakes of the past. The Jets took Sam Darnold in 2018. So in 2018, 2019, 2020, not including this draft, in those three drafts, they drafted as many quarterbacks as they did punters and punters as they did wide receivers. Think about that. They drafted Darnold in 2018. In those three drafts, they drafted another quarterback. Uh, That was last year, right? The kid Morgan. They also drafted a punter. And those totals are as many wide receivers as they drafted. So they clearly had a plan of we're going to protect the quarterback in which Joe Douglas's job rests, right? If Zach Wilson in three years is not any good and you need to draft another quarterback, guess what? <laughs> it's almost certainly not going to be Joe Douglas that's picking him. But Zach Wilson was going to be the pick. We have said that for, I mean, months, feels like years, but it's only been months. At two, when you have a quarterback issue and the Jets had a quarterback issue, the only question you have is, Do you take a quarterback there or do you move down and stockpile picks and just kind of kick the can down the road on your quarterback issue? Joe Douglas decided to take the bull by the horns and loved Zach Wilson, so now it has to work. Moving up in the second round to get uh, Vera Tucker, the uh, offensive, I guess they expect him to be a guard, and drafting a wide receiver, a slot wide receiver in uh, in the second round. Usually with a blank canvas, as the Jets have, I would want to invest in the best player available, yes, but also in the four areas where actual NFL teams invest money, which are quarterback, pass rusher, shutdown corner, and blindside protector. Well, left tackle, you think you already have. You took the, the, um, the quarterback with the second pick. Pass rush, you're hoping to have at least improved the situation with another year of Quinn and Williams. And then the, uh, the uh, Lawson pickup in the offseason. But again, the Jets are a ground zero of a rebuild. And that is not going to happen in one year. So it's great to get those guys. But when you are the Jets, and you, you, I mean, they really, when you're as far down as they are, you absolutely have to take the best player available. It's good to have a plan. But outside of left tackle, there's no area where the Jets can look at and say, you know what? I'm good there. I don't really need one of those. So to me, the Jets draft was clear cut. To me, the Giants draft was far more interesting. If for no, e- if no other reason, it has spawned a new phenomenon. And that new phenomenon is the Dave Gettleman truther. Have you, have you seen these guys around? Oh, my goodness. They're everywhere all of a sudden. One, one, a couple good days, and boy, oh, boy. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Touched on the, the Jets draft and the Giants draft. And uh, I would say, look, the, the Jets draft, uh, it's all about trying to build a foundation. The Giants are kind of hoping that that foundation already exists. But now, obviously, the pressure is on. There are going to be expectations on the Giants season now. Everybody seemed to have felt like, you know, season one under Joe Judge was a, a big improvement, that things are pointed in the right direction. And the Giants have some expectation, right? Expectations are a privilege. Well, they now have to take a major step forward. There's no more of this five or six wins. The Giants this upcoming season must win at minimum nine games. And why I say nine is because with the additional game, they have to be a winning team. They should be absolutely competing for the NFC East title. I felt like that before the draft, and I certainly feel that way now. Really like the draft that they put up, plus the added bonus of, of kind of how the Giants are set up. I don't know if anybody else has brought this point up, but the Giants are set up to succeed now in 2021, right? Joe Judge had a strong rookie season. They made big moves, win-now moves this offseason, and now a strong draft. So the pressure's clearly on Daniel Jones, right? This offseason was about you know surrounding him with weapons, and I think you would have to say they have done that. They have clearly done that with the sign of Galladay, getting Saquon back now with the pick of Tony early in the, uh, in the draft. The pressure is on both Jones and Jason Garrett. But let's just say, for whatever reason, Daniel Jones doesn't take this massive step forward. And to, you know, to kind of be like a, a reason why they are winning games, not just the quarterback on the team. Because where he needs to get to from where he was we can all point out that they oh, they didn't have guys that get separation. They was working with a bad line, all these different things. This is year three. It was year three for Sam. It's year three now for Daniel Jones. So 
let's just say he doesn't take this massive step forward and he, maybe he regresses, right? Maybe he starts turning the ball over again. We looked at this offseason with a lot of quarterback movement. Next offseason could be very well the same thing. You know, the Aaron Rodgers story, which is now full-blown, I don't think anything's going to happen this year, but that story I don't think is going away. Uh, Deshaun Watson, that story has gone away for obvious reasons, but I think that that almost will come back at some point whenever the the legal issues are uh, cleaned up. And Russell Wilson, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about, you know, is Russell Wilson going to be moved? So we've kind of forgotten about that one because of all the other pieces that we're talking about. But if you're the Giants, and it does turn out that they've solved a lot of issues this offseason, and now you have an issue where the quarterback is the thing holding you back, and that's the final piece. Well, that trade with the Bears, that might turn out to be a big piece. Now, I don't think that either the first two guys that I mentioned are – uh, possibilities for the Giants. But that third one, Russell Wilson, there's always been kind of talk that he would wind up with the Giants somehow, some way. And now if you're a team, if it turns out, right, like we're all, this is a long way away, right? We've got to play a full season before we find out how these things turn out. But let's just paint a scenario where the Giants have solved all these issues. They have all these big weapons on offense. They have a defense that is more than competent and is, is progressing in the right area but it's the quarterback that's still holding you back. Now with two ones, two threes, it's not crazy to think that, you know what, if, if the Giants need to go shopping in the offseason next offseason, it's not, it's not a crazy thing to think about that that trade might eventually lead to something, right? Because if you're talking about a Russell Wilson being available or an established quarterback being available, what are you going to need? You're going to need some draft picks and you're going to need some talent to move in the other direction. And the Giants, it does seem like... Um, things are pointed and, and one more piece of praise for Gettleman because it's true right that the pressure is now on the Giants they got to win now he made sound long-term moves right like we talk about the Bears the Bears are desperate so they don't care what they would give up for a first round pick because if they don't <laughs> if they don't have a long-term answer at quarterback and, and like right now the guys who are calling the shots are not going to be there you know the pressure's on Dave Gettleman so for him to pivot the way he did and make sound long-term moves that's not easy to do when, the, when he's in the spot that he's in. 1-800-919-ESPN is the uh, telephone number. All right, let's uh, go um, back to the phones here. Uh, Lee is on Long Island. Uh-oh, he is not a fan of the Jets draft. Lee, what's going on, pal? Hey, how are you? I, I want, I am, I'm going to throw a little cold water on it. I, okay. Um, uh, first off, I've been, I've been pretty hard on Joe Douglas this whole offseason because I, feel, I, was, I thought tanking last year, the way they did, not the players, but the front office, I mean, I think that's inexcusable. But if you're going to tank and you're going to tank for a player and you miss, that is absolutely inexcusable. Um, and then after that, all we heard about was, and I'll get to the draft in a second, but all we heard about was how much money, you know, they, well, they traded away, all, you know, they didn't get Trevor Lawrence, but they got all this extra money in, in cap space that they can use to bring in some free agents and try to rebuild this roster kind of quickly. And they have all this draft capital. And then in free agency, I felt like they were, it was just a bust. I mean, Corey Davis was their big free agent offensive addition. And to me, he was a bust in Tennessee. I don't. I, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't Kenny Galladay. He wasn't an elite true. player at yeah. his position. I mean, he, he had a fifth-year option and, that they decided not to pick up. That's why he was a free agent. Oh, Tennessee. Tennessee couldn't wait to get let him walk out the door. I mean, the yeah. AJ Brown came in there and outperformed him. You know, soup to nuts. Yep. So, um, so then then you hear about all this draft capital. Well, they got to rebuild through the draft. And I feel like they keep moving the goalposts for Joe Douglas. By the way, because you know he tanked for Trevor Lawrence. He missed Trevor Lawrence. Well, now it's the consolation prize, Zach Wilson, and he has all this cap money. Well, he got Corey Davis. That was a big deal. Now, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you should overpay for free agents, but you got to bring in some talent. You had 80 million dollars in cap space. The Giants had six bucks in cap space. They got Kenny Galladay, so they made it work. Um, and then you, you see in the draft, he used three premium picks to get one offensive guard. And if you have as many, and that's, that's fine. If you're the chiefs or the Packers right. and you need yep. one or two players, that's but fair. the Jets had a lot of holes to fill and they used three premium picks on one guy. And I, I'm not saying APT. I think he's going to be a great guard. I think he's going to be a very good offensive lineman, but you didn't have the luxury of doing that. And then in the third round and the second round of their third pick, Elijah Moore, every, I know everybody's high on him, but five foot nine wide receivers very rarely pan out in the NFL. The Tavon Austins and stuff like that, they don't usually work. The, the small guys, and they're all fast. That's why when they're all oh, speed kills. Well, all the little guys are fast, but they don't always work out. 
you know, Wes Welker, he was about 5'9". He had a couple of good years in New England, but he was on his third team by the time he got to New England. You know, I mean, And he wasn't a blazer so either. I, I, Lee, i gotta, I got to let you run because we're up against the clock, uh, and I'll address some of those, uh, those, those points that you made here coming up. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776 is the telephone number. Jets, Giants, the draft. We'll get into some baseball in a little bit. And the Knicks, the Knicks are going to play a game again. Oh, my goodness, it feels like it's been so long. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98. 98- Point seven ESPN. We have so much to talk about with this draft, including the slaying of the Dave Gettleman uh, truthers that are out. I mean, it's, it's kind of happened over the course of last year when it seems like now things are pointed in a far better direction for the Giants as, than they have been in quite some time. And before we actually get to the draft itself, you, you can say the Giants are, are set up pretty beautifully for next year, and their actions in this draft have put to bed any talk that the media unfairly criticizes Dave Gettleman. There, there's a portion of Giant fans that over the last year have started, you know what, Gettleman's not done such a bad job, you know. Gettleman did the right thing by taking Saquon at two. He's done a good job. You guys crush him. For no reason at all. Um, I, I hate to break it to you, but they're 15 and 33 over three years. What exactly did you want people to say about Dave Gettleman? He set the team back with his approach in his first offseason. He set the team back by thinking Eli could be salvaged. He set the team back by drafting a running back at number two. His early free agent signings were a disaster. And look at that. Even despite all that criticism that was fair when he made smart decisions this week, trading back, what has been the reaction? Almost universal praise. Now, keep in mind, the, the move back in the first round was because the player that he wanted got snapped up in front of him. Like the Eagles knew that the Giants wanted Devontae Smith. He got poached, right? But they adapted. They adjusted. They pivoted. They got a first-round pick back, and not just any first-round pick, the Bears' first-round pick. So this idea that Dave Gettleman has been unfairly criticized by the media has been hogwashed the entire time. He's been fairly criticized. And now that he is making better moves, look at that. The reaction's better. Weird. Isn't that weird how it works? Maybe everybody's just uh, shaded because of how draft grades go. Every single – and there are – I'll tell you this – I'm a Dolphin fan, but there are portions of every fan base now, they don't want any criticism of their team whatsoever. They just want the rosiest of rosy pictures all the time. No fair analysis is needed or wanted. But when you're the Giants, and I'll say this as well, when you're the Giants, you're always going to get criticized more harshly than the Jets. That's just the way it is because you, you have actually experienced some success. There are actual expectations with your organization. It's almost like the same thing with the Yankees and Mets. Yankees, when the Yankees struggle, the, um, the criticism is always going to be much more doom and gloom than when the Mets struggle. But that said, no, the, the criticism of Dave Gettleman up until this past year has been absolutely 100% fair. All right, let's get some phone calls in. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go out to, uh, let's see here, Matt is in Queens. Matt, what's going on, buddy? Good, mo- good morning, Gordon. How are you? Good I'm good, man. What's going on? This? Well, Jet fan here, you know, I'm, I'm very, very cautiously optimistic. I'm not excited. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Um, and in my opinion... You would have had a team, you know, more ready to compete right now with Sam Donald, Kyle Pitts, and then Tucker and, and the other receiver that they got than having, you know, Zach Wilson, no Kyle Pitts. Okay. Well, Matt, I, I, I will agree. Let me just – we'll go back and forth. I will agree with you. You would be more set up um, to be more successful in the short term, but that's not really the goal, right? Like the goal is to become really, really good. And while, yes, in the short term you would be better – by just selecting a guy, say, at two or maybe move down one spot to three or something like that and getting pits and all these different things, the issue with Darnold was still there. Uh, And I think that he was part of the problem here. And I think that what the draft has shown you is that it's not only best for the Jets, I think it was best for Sam to get out of here. I think his situation now in Carolina is far better than the situation that he would have had here even if he had had stayed here, even with the picks that they had made and, and swapping up, obviously, the second pick. 
But go ahead. What else you want? Yeah, to say? I could see. I, I could see that now. Slightly off subject, but an interesting phenomenon about what you were talking about about negative critic, you know, criticism, mm-hmm. and people don't like when you criticize anymore. Yeah. An interesting phenomenon. The same thing is going on, kind of like with stocks. Like if you're on Twitter or Reddit and you're talking about stocks, mm-hmm. and someone says they like a stock, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about using abusive language, like how can you be so stupid? I'm talking right. about just talking about what could be the risk to a stock. People freak out if you say anything <laughs> negative. It's, it, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, and look, there's plenty of uh, of just um, negatives on Twitter, especially and online and in, in various forums that it's just it's negative 100 percent of the time and it's not really based in reality. So, you know, there, there's too much of that, too. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised that, you you know, we always talk about how smart fans are in New York and. But it's kind of everywhere that people just don't they just want to, uh, I guess, maybe just enjoy and, and hope and anything that kind of ruins that illusion to them. They, they don't want to hear. And all of a sudden you're nasty. Oh, you're so negative. All these different things. If you if you give any analysis and you just say, OK, so where is my analysis wrong? And they'll just say, oh, no, you're just you're just hating. You're just, you know, all these different things. Right. Right. So I'm curious as to how like the like the bulk of Jet fans you know, feel, are they very excited or are they more like me where they're just, you know, okay, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and hope for the best and see what happens. I'm wondering. I think, Matt, I think that they are cautiously optimistic, but I think that where their optimism comes from, and this might be uh, a little bit too much, but the, the amount of um, faith and to a certain degree, blind faith that Jet fans have in Joe Douglas. And I'm not saying that he might not, I I don't know. not, Not enough has happened so far. But it seems like you talk to Jet fans, and they in Joe we trust. In Joe we trust. And if you point out, you know, individual thing, well, well what about this? What about that? It, it doesn't really matter. So I think that much, if you were, like, doing a rankings of where Jet fans' optimism is at, even more so than the quarterback, then they take, I feel like the feeling surrounding the quarterback is much more 50-50. The GM, the, the Jet fan, uh, to me, is still uh, almost 100% behind Joe Douglas. And, and look, we'll see. Uh, maybe part of the skepticism about the quarterback is because you feel like he just did this, right? You just saw this movie. Just a couple of years ago, you were drafting Sam Darnold, and it was like, hey, we got the guy. <laughs> the hard work is done. No, the hard work was just beginning, and unfortunately, the hard work never got done for Sam Darnold. But I, I do think that what the draft has already shown you uh, for me, someone who was like, I think it was right to stay at two, take the quarterback, move Sam. I guess it's still up in the air, right? Because if, if, if Wilson is not any good, the Jets are not any better. But I think for Sam, he's already in a better situation. For Clearly, he's in a better situation. So I, I felt like that was it, it, a breakup was necessary for both sides because it was just the be- the Jets needed a fresh break, a fresh start. He needed a fresh start. And whether or not he's able to salvage his career, we'll see in Carolina. But it's not just a second chance there. It's a last chance, right? Like, if he goes into this year with all the weapons that they have, the coach that they have, and he, he's still the same guy making the same mistakes, well, Carolina will have told you that yep, that was probably a mistake bringing him in. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go out to, um, let's see here. Elliot is in Riverdale. Elliot, what's going on, my man? Hi, Gordon. Uh, I want to talk about the Giants a little. Yeah. I thought Wayne Goldman has done such a good job when he played for the Giants, and I don't understand why they let him go. Do you have any? Uh, well, I mean, he was a free agent, right? He signed with San Francisco. Yes, he was. Well, but, I mean, you know, Barkley gets injured mm-hmm. often, and he's a yeah. different type of runner. He he hits the hole quicker and doesn't dance, and he, he was very successful to them. I, I, I couldn't believe when they didn't sign him. And I was very, I guess, perturbed. Yeah, I mean, also, well, you're going to get Saquon back. And, you know, with the, the cap yeah. situation, it, it's tough to pay running backs. Um, you know, it's kind of a disposable position. And you already are investing quite a bit in one guy there in Barkley. So um, it's not that they yeah. – well, I don't think, that, I don't the think cap, they, they would they like go, Goldman, you know, but it's just in terms of yeah. cost, you know, what it would cost to bring him back. I'd have to take a look at what his contract was. Uh, I'm sure he'll go to San Francisco. Yeah. Their history with backs is pretty good with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, yeah. And also, Clemson players just seem to do very well in the NFL. You know, I guess just like Alabama, the coaching is 
it's superior. It's yeah. obvious. Well, they also uh, get the best players. <laughs> that kind of helps yeah, too, right? No, that doesn't hurt either. Yeah. But also on Kyle Rudolph, why did I thought uh, this kid Smith, who was the backup tight end, was an up and comer, and they got Terlulo, uh, who they said is very good on special teams and you know could develop, and yet they went out and got a tight end and and spent you know money that could have gone to Gorman on him. Do you know who's going who got cut or who's going to get cut from the tight ends? Uh, well, I think they'll kind of let that play out during camp, right? I mean, I think the thing that's important to keep in mind, and Elliot, thanks for the call, is like it's all well and good to say, well, they got to address this area and they got to address that. But at the end of the day, you got to get players that you have faith in, right? Like, you don't want, I don't want my team to pass up a guy who is better at a position that maybe is not that great of a need for just a guy who is not as highly rated, but will fill a need. Now, that works if you're like the upper echelon teams, like, right? Like, if you're the Chiefs or if you're a team that's going into the year, Super Bowl or bust, that makes sense. That's why I didn't like the, uh, the Buccaneers pick of Kyle Trask in the second round. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, it, it, you're bringing the band back together. What good does that do you? Now, I don't know what the Buccaneers would have needed there, or I'm not all in on that, but a, quarter, a, a quarterback of the future – I would I would rather wait for that for when it all falls apart. I got a very small window, and for the Buccaneers, considering the age of their quarterback right now, that window might already be closed. But if Brady goes out there and gets hurt this upcoming year, Kyle Trask is not going to be the answer. So I didn't like that move there. Uh, all right, one 919 espn 1-800-919-3776. Yeah, Wayne Gallman signed a one-year deal for uh, just under a million bucks with the Niners. Uh, well, I, I would think that, you know, the Giants having other needs, having Saquon back, he's going to be the major focus there. They didn't want to send, spend a, a million dollars on bringing back Wayne Gallman. I think that's the, uh, what it tells you. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. We are still efforting to find out when the uh, induction ceremony for Kyle Higashioka is going to be in the Yankees' retired numbers. He's going to be the first player while playing who uh, has his numbers retired just for, for no other reason than it, it gives us some relief of having to watch Gary Sanchez day in and day out. And the Yankees now uh, grabbing an early two, nothing lead on the Tigers as they uh, try and uh, finish off the uh, sweep there. So we'll see how that goes. We'll keep you abreast of that. Uh, I just did want to uh, kind of go back there. The last caller was talking about uh, uh, Jalen Phillips and he was involved in a, a car. I think it was actually a moped accident, but he, he had multiple concussions uh, and I think that actually the uh, concussions were not ex- uh, a result of the, uh, the accident. The concussions happened as a result of, of playing football. So uh, he also he had a wrist injury from the moped accident, and um, at one point he did retire. Uh, uh, Hillops could be a one uh, hit away from being out of football. Each successive concussion, right, yeah, he's had multiple concussions. It wasn't just as a result of the, uh, the car accident. Now he does have unbelievable tools from a from a physical standpoint. He would probably, you know, without those red flags, he he would clearly have gone uh, much much higher. And I'm sure there are some teams that would um, been, you know, without that would have been willing to take him far higher in the draft. But that's a you know those injuries, especially that one. You know, there's some injuries. You know, you miss some time because of a broken bone or something like that. Those things generally heal. Concussions. That's that's a different story, and that's one that uh, definitely uh, bears watching there. And to me, that is not one uh, that that's not a risk that I would be willing to take with uh, a, a a number one pick, a guy who's had a, a history of concussions, not just one here or there or one bad one. Uh, I think playing football, concussions are going to be a, it's just going to be something you you probably you know it's a it's a an issue with the job, right? It's a it's a problem with the job that you will likely have to face at some point or another. But for a guy who's coming into the league with a first-round pedigree that has had an issue with that already, that would make me kind of shy away. All right, so if you want to get in on the draft, we can certainly still do that. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. But uh, I did want to kind of focus some attention on uh, the Knicks because it feels like, man, it's been a long time since the Knicks have played a game. It has not happened since Wednesday when they got that win uh, over the uh, Bulls. And tonight, it opens up. Right for a long time, when that's the second half of the schedule came out, and you took a look at it, and you said, "Oh wow, the next second half schedule is going to be far more difficult." Can they can they kind of keep it afloat? Right for for the first half of the year, this was a team that was kind of floating around five hundred, maybe a couple of games up, maybe a couple of games down. 
but are they going to be able to uh, keep that going during the second half of the schedule? And the big focus of the second half of that schedule was the six-game road trip, which opens up tonight. Clippers are on it. Lakers are on it. Suns are on it. Nuggets are on it. So those are four games right there. Uh, when you first saw them, that said, oh, how, how are the Knicks uh, going to uh, compete uh, against those teams? But now, as the way things have gone, you, you're kind of feeling a little bit more confident, I think, heading into uh, tonight and facing off against the Rockets. Game uh, we'll have right here on 98.7 FM with our coverage tipping off at, at 730. Look, I, the Knicks at one point were a team that I thought, you know what, they're never going to completely fall off the map like I didn't think that there was ever going to be like a six or seven game losing skid but I got to be honest I never thought that they would win uh, nine in a row like they did so I look at this road trip clearly you're going to know you're going to have a good read of where they're going to be at because there's only going to be three games left in the regular season when this road trip is over so you'll have a good idea of where they will stand I would think that bare minimum if you told me right now bare minimum Gordon they go two and four if they go two and four I feel very good about them staying at six or above and that's the goal right like yes we all had expectations coming into the year and I think that when the season is over is as long as the Knicks played a playoff series you could paint it in a way that can give them where you were coming into the year year one with a new coach and kind of a new mindset that yeah just playing a playoff series in year one that was always going to be a success. Now that you're at where you're at, I think you want more than that. So I think that anybody who tells you that being a top six team in the East this year would not be a huge sign of success is lying to you, even despite how things end. If they go into the playoffs and they got swept by some team, year one with a team that was expected to win, what, 22 games? And already you've obviously clearly surpassed that and have a chance to be a top six avoiding the play-in. That has to be the goal right now. And if the Knicks can go two and four, I feel confident that they will stay above six, at least through the road trip. They still have three other games beyond that. If they can somehow, and I don't know how this is going to happen because you take a look at those games, it's tough to kind of figure out, all right, this is going to be the win. This is going to be the win. This is going to, if you could somehow go three and three, I have a very good feeling about the Knicks staying at four. Now, that seems crazy. Even the words coming out of my mouth feel kind of crazy saying that, the Knicks being a four seed in the Eastern Conference. But the Knicks have played the, the best of the teams that are competing. Outside, Take out the top three out of it. You take a look at the other teams that are competing for the rest of the spots in the Eastern Conference, the Knicks have played the best. They have, played, they have been the most consistent. They have never had a stretch here as the season went along where you're looking at them and saying, oh boy, this is... This is really a mess. Now, they got to two games under 500 and, and clearly responded. And I don't think any of the teams that are chasing them, again, I don't want to speak this into existence, but I don't think any of the teams that are chasing them are going to go on some extended win streak of four or more. So I think that they're in a very good spot. Now, I say that tonight they face off against the Rockets. Tonight's must win, right? Like if you're trying to devise how you get six wins out of those games, clearly Number, if they don't win tonight, I'll feel a whole lot worse. I mean, I'll feel really, they have to win this game against the Rockets. And that's kind of what the Knicks have showed you this year outside of that Minnesota loss. They have generally beaten the teams that they are supposed to beat. The Rockets are one of those teams they are supposed to beat. So get that win tonight. And then you got one. And now you got five more games to figure out another one. And it could be Memphis. I don't think it's going to be Denver, but Phoenix, you played right down to the wire here. Are you going to be able to get a win in Phoenix? It seems unlikely, but that's the thing about the Knicks. You know, they play these games, and going in, you might feel like, I think that they've built up at least enough goodwill this year with the way that they have played that there's no games that they're just going to get blown out of. And that clearly is a a far different story than in years past because there are plenty of games that you could just watch the opening two minutes of the game and you could say, not happening tonight. They're not getting a win tonight. So get the win tonight against the Rockets, and then you have to find another way to get at least one more win if you can get two, because then it's Rockets tonight, Memphis tomorrow, and then Denver, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers. Going to be very hard to find three wins out of those six games, but if they do, if they could ever find a way 
to get a team. I'd have to look and see if other teams are playing the second of, of back-to-backs or something like that. Who knows? But it, you know, you get three and three, all of a sudden, the possibility that what seemed like a pipe dream. I mean, it was just two weeks ago. I remember saying, you know, Nick fans, being a four seed in the Eastern Conference was always going to be a pipe dream. All of a sudden, man, it's starting to feel like that is starting to come into a little bit more focus. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to hype it up too much, but it does feel like the Knicks are, of the teams that are in the Eastern Conference and battling for those spots, they're the team that has played the most consistent and played the best basketball here over the last month. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. I did want to kind of touch on the Yankees because, again, I've not touched on it so far. We've talked about the Knicks a little bit. I always like to get the Knicks in there involved. I like to get the Yankees involved. So a chance to get back to 500 today, and uh, I would just like to say thank God for the Orioles and thank God for that. Although the, the Orioles, they split against the Orioles. But who knows? If they were playing a far better team, maybe they would have not even a split. So going for the sweep today against the uh, Tigers. And look, it's been said a thousand times, and it's 100% fair. It is way past time to get rolling. We are now into May. The Yankees have had sloppy starts before under Aaron Boone. But usually by now it has been cleaned up. You know, 2018, 2019, kind of 500 kind of starts, kicking it around defensively, maybe making some outs on the base paths. But by now, it's usually been cleaned up. And now it's about time the Yankees start getting things cleaned up. So Judge has certainly looked uh, like he's getting going. Stanton, since moving to the two-hole, has looked real good. The issue is that the lineup... And there's really no way around this. The lineup just has too many guys who are automatic outs. They are out machines. Hicks, Ford, Odor. Now, they're the best options right now, and there are no other options on the horizon. Again, the Yankees' number one goal this year, and this is the thing that should be getting criticized more than anything else, is that their ownership has decided that they are staying under the luxury tax threshold no matter what, come hell or high water for a team that is smack dab in the middle of their window of opportunity. That's the big, you know, why do you think they went after Corey Kluber and and Jamison Tyone? I think they like those players, but I think they also realized that for the money they had to spend, that was their best options. So that's the one point, you know, like for Hicks, who has been bad and, And, you know, Mike Ford's in there now after Jay Bruce, you know, that disaster. They don't have a lot of great options in the lineup. There's not enough guys that they can get the lineup so that it's this this, um, unbeatable force, right, that it's one through nine. And there's no other, you know, you can say bench this guy or bench that guy. There's nobody to bench. There's no, there's nobody on the bench that you can call up and say, hey, you know, Aaron's judge can't get to bat twice, (laughs) unfortunately. And it's so nice that the Yankees could give Glaber Torres a day. Just when the guy just gets going. He's just starting to heat up and starting to look like Glaber Torres again. He's eight for his last 21. And what do they do? Let's get this guy a day off. He's exhausted. He's 24 years old. Get him off his feet. Go, go lie down. For, for the love of God, Glaber, go lie down. Got to get him a blow. They're off tomorrow. They don't play tomorrow. You get, I'm not saying that the it should be life and death to beat the Tigers. You should be able to beat them on your own. But, I mean, you got a day off. How much less tired are you if you get two days off back-to-back as opposed to just one day? It's crazy to me. You know, the, the, the stuff with Aaron Judge. He's hitting home runs left and right. Got to get, gotta get him off his feet. Please, if I were Aaron Judge, I'd go to Aaron Boone and say, please stop saying you got to get me off my feet. It makes me sound like I'm an invalid. Terrible. But, look, the, the fact that the Yankees maybe uh, are, are getting things pointing in the right direction, we shall see. Corey Kluber's had a very sharp start so far this afternoon. The pitching has looked uh, a lot better, and I, I, maybe not a coincidence now that uh, Kyle Higashioka is starting more and more. The guys like Corey Kluber have pitched better. Jamison Tyone has pitched uh, pretty well, though. I think Sanchez started yesterday. Oh, whatever. Um, but, you know, now that um, Domingo Harmon had his best start of the year with uh, Higashioka back there, so pitching really has not been the issue. You know, for as, as short as guys have gone like Kluber and Tyone, you, with the injury history for both, it, it was probably always going to be that case uh, early on in the season. You were hoping that the, that the lineup was going to just kind of overpower teams, and that has not been the case. Hopefully that is now getting uh, 
pointed in the right direction. But, you know, it kind of goes back to this thing, and, and maybe I'm just more sensitive to it because the Yankees are, are, are kind of my team, that when things are going bad for the Yankees, there's such this level of anger. It immediately goes to, oh, this, this, this organization's a disaster. Or even in the media. Like, we were a week into the season. I'm, I'm reading stories about how Glaber Torres can't possibly play shortstop at, at a major league level. Can't possibly. Now, look, he might go back to struggling again defensively. That's a, a possibility. But to be, uh, you know, reading articles about how they got to get him out of here, or trade him for Trevor Story, it just seems like ridiculous. I haven't seen any stories about how much of a disaster uh, Francisco Lindor has been or that you got to get him out of here. This was clearly a mistake. But if all the same things were true about Lindor and it was on the Yankees in the same story, then we would be hearing this. Well, you know, anytime the Yankees make a trade with Cleveland, the guy come Robbie Alomar was bad. Carlos Baerga. And now those are ridiculous storylines. And I'm not suggesting they be written now, but talking about how Glaber Torres should be sent down or, or trade him away? No. Ew. Again, you don't have enough good options for the guys who are struggling. Glaber's supposed to be one of the, the spark plugs, one of the real uh, you know, talents on your team. You know, you move him down, where, where are you going? Tyler Wade? You think that's a good move? I can tell you it's not. That's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. And, and this is with, you know, um, uh, Odor, Rugnet Odor playing regularly. Now, look, they don't have a better option right now. But, I mean, he's a guy hitting 170. Once in a while, he'll hit a home run. But every other time, he'll make an out. But I, yet, I've not seen these kind of stories when it regards to the Mets about Conforto. Ah, should have traded him. Should have. But when Aaron Judge struggles, ah, should have traded him. Guy can't stay healthy. He's no good. He stinks. He's terrible. I don't know. When he's healthy and, 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 and is going right, I think he's one of the better players in baseball. And think about all the stories you've read about Aaron Judge when he struggles about his contract. You know, he's not going to get this big contract. His contract is two years away. You know how much time is between two years and a baseball season or a sports season altogether? It's it's, it's a crazy amount of time. Two years ago, we thought Aaron Boone. No, I'm not just. Two years is a long time. And yet, how many stories have we, uh, comments people make, oh, about Aaron Judge's con- I don't really care what his contract's going to be in, in, in a couple of years. Let it play out. We'll see how it goes. If he stays healthy, maybe he gets a big contract. If he can't stay healthy, like he hasn't been able to stay healthy, he won't. But, you know, Conforto's contract's up at the end of the year. I haven't read anything about, oh, my God, his contract. What this means to his contract. The coverage on the Yankees is always so doom and gloom. And you would think that the team has a history of just absolutely collapsing on its face during the regular season. Now, look, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the first time since 1992 that they have a losing season. But you would think that, you know, people realize how long a baseball season is. There's a lot of ups and downs. And sometimes teams have a lot of downs early on, and they get things pointed in the right direction over time. So we'll see if that turns out to be the the case with the Yankees. But, you know, it feels like a lot of times, my God. The amount of overreaction. And they, they were playing bad. They played poorly. I, I'll be the first to admit it. Defense was terrible. Running into double play, uh, uh, running into outs on the base paths and hitting into double plays. All terrible. All fair to point out. But to make it out like, oh, my God, this season cannot be salvaged. It's April. And now it's what? It's May 2nd. Take a breath. Take a breath. 1-800-919-ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Back to the phones. Eric is in Jersey City. Eric, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Um, I just I wanted to speak about the uh, the whole Joe, Joe Douglas and the uh, New York Jets the draft. Sure. And I know that uh, with the organization in the past with uh, John Idzik and Mike McCagan, they've uh, made a lot of mistakes, a lot of bad picks, yep. especially uh, Mike McCagan. But. Um, I feel like with Joe Douglas, the, the direction that he's going, with the way he's sticking to to a certain plan, he's not veering off of it. And so far, the the uh, the last two years, the drafts that he's had with the situation that he was put in, you know, uh, most of uh, Mike McCagnan's picks, uh, a good portion of them are, aren't even playing in the league anymore. So, I think. Uh, 
us Jets fans, we you know we we have to have that stance where we where we have to stay optimistic because I think he's doing a good job. And as a you know, time will tell if these draft picks are going to pan out. But I think right now it does look like it's heading in the right direction. I just wanted to see what uh what you think about that. Uh, look, I think Eric, uh, and thanks for the call. I think right now, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. He's he's had two drafts here. Um, I, I like Becton from last year, but he was the 11th pick in the draft. He, he should be a good pick, and, and he certainly looked the part last year, but he was also hurt a couple of times. So do I think that that was a good pick? Yeah, I do. And how I judge it is if you're picking somebody in the first three rounds, uh, that, that guy has to get a second contract with your team. And if it's in the first round, a, a team as bad as the Jets are, they, they got to be kind of foundational pieces. But to, to, um, to think that you can judge one way or the other his draft picks, even after one year, is a little uh, unfair. So I'm not saying that he's done uh, a uh, great job. I'm not ready to you know uh, say for sure he's, he's got the team headed in the right direction. It would almost be impossible for him to be worse than the two previous guys. The two previous guys were so bad. Mike McCagnan, I mean... You take a look at the amount of picks that that guy had and, and messed up. You know, the one that will always you'll always come back to is um, is Christian Hagenberg. I mean, to take him in the second round, terrible pick. Um, you know, but you got Quentin Williams, Sam Darnold. Everybody was praising him for that, but then he kind of lost the way about uh, trying to surround Sam with uh, the 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 talent around him. You know, a lot of defensive picks. Uh, for 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 McCagnan and did not surround uh, Darnold with with pl- with weapons on offense or with um, with an offensive line. So I, I will give Joe Douglas credit for that. In that now that he's got his quarterback, he went about at least in this draft uh, of making sure. In last draft, Beckton the left tackle, you have to have him. Now he's got Vera Tucker at uh, at guard, and that'll be a second piece along that offensive line. He gets more in the second round, who's a, who's a playmaker, maybe not at the position that's most warranted, right, a slot receiver because Crowder was pretty good. But this is the, he's building this for the long haul. It's not For him, he's not looking at more or Crowder because Crowder, I think he only has one more year on his contract at most, and by the time the Jets get this thing turned around, Crowder's probably not going to be here anyway. So this is a, this is a long haul. But uh, I would just say at this point to think that you can say for sure one way or the other that you know that you can have faith in Joe Douglas. To me, that's blind faith, and blind faith in anything is, is bad. That's a bad way to, to approach things. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.